Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 11th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Christians and Government, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Paul has just said to us that we are to be a blessing in verse 14, to exercise God's love, to discharge our duties of compassion to all people. We're not just to do this with fellow believers, but with non-believers as well. What it means is to both pray for their good and to do for them good. How often do we find ourselves doing that? How often do we find ourselves actually praying for people who maybe just bug us to death? You see, the attitude here is the very opposite of self-serving or selfish. Every moment in life is not about us. True transformed living is found in our pursuit of serving others for the glory of God. I don't know if you've heard this. I've heard this since I was a kid. There's two things. If you want to keep things cool, calm, surfacey, um, friendly, polite, there's two things you never, ever talk about. You know what those are? Religion and politics. Let's go, because today we get to talk about both. Kind of. Uh, I joke say we talk about politics, we're really not. We're talking about the role of the government, the role of Christians in response to the government, and how does all of that play itself out. Now, if we were going to talk about politics, if any group of people should be able to talk about anything, and I mean anything, if there was any group of people on the face of planet Earth who could come together, unite under one thing, and put all their differences aside, guess who it should be? It should be us. We should be the ones who aren't conformed to the ways of the world, which are always polarized and divided. We should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, John 17, Jesus prayed for a united church. This is high priestly prayer. He says, Father, I pray that you would make them one just as we are one, so too may they be one. May they be united. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything we ever think. We're not going to agree on everything we have convictions about. But we should be able to lay all of those things aside and agree on one thing. Jesus. That he is the way. That he is the truth. That he is the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. So this morning as we approach not quite a lighthearted topic in speaking of government and our response to it. Um, let's have that heart that heart that says we are the people that should be able to converse about anything and that we are the people who put Christ first. Amen? Romans chapter 13, one through seven. Let's go ahead and read it and then we'll pray one more time. Romans 13, one through seven says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. God, well, it's my voice that's been heard this morning. We know it's your word that's been spoken and it's your word that we trust for the authority in our life. God, so this morning we come together under one name. We come together under the name of Christ and we submit ourselves to your rule, to your law in our life. God, help us take this passage and apply it to our life and we would do such in a way that glorifies you, that honors you and gives you praise. God, help us deal graciously with one another this morning as we um, may disagree on things and when we ultimately come back together and say, yeah, but you know what? Jesus is king and we're all gonna submit to him. God, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This passage is easy. You might giggle, it really is easy. Like if we look at how complicated some of the texts in Romans are, this one's not complicated. Here's what it says. Everyone should subject themselves to their governing authorities. God is in charge of who is in charge. You should pay your taxes and be respectful and honorable of those who are in places of high authority. Really not complicated. It's not complicated at all, but for whatever reason, we come to a passage like this and one of the first things we tend to think is, yeah, but when do I not have to? Which is a terrible way to read the Bible. Terrible way to read the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, Jesus, but when do I not have to? Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. But when do I not have to? Pray without ceasing. But when do I not have to? Like, it's just not a very good principle to apply when studying God's word. But when do I not have to? Now, all that said, there are places in scripture where God says there is a time and a place where you don't have to. And we're gonna circle back to that at the end. But before we get there, I do wanna cover the five main things this passage teaches us about Christians and government. Let me provide some context first. Lest we think like this church in Rome like had it really going on, right? Christians today think like, man, it's a bad time to be a Christian. You're just wrong. It is a great time to be a Christian, especially here in our country. It's an easy time to be a Christian. Things might be changing in the future, who knows, but in the grand scheme of things, this church, oh, they had it bad. Let me provide some context. Just like several years prior to this, the Romans, they killed Jesus. Okay, so this, this church is living and worshiping in the place that's responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. They're they're just about to enter this stage of Neronian persecution where the emperor Nero, you heard of this guy before, probably the worst persecutor of the church in in, in the entire history. That's who's emperor. That's who's running their country. Nero. Bad, bad dude. Persecution going on all over the place. We see in the book of 1 Peter, the persecution actually got worse. So we don't want to go into this thinking like this church had it easy. They had it bad. That's where he begins to write. He starts with the first thing we see. All people are subject to their governing authorities. All people are subject to their governing authorities. 
Verse one says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's not a hard thing to understand. Well, who's the governing authorities? Let's simplify. It's the people in charge of where you live. That's who it is, the people in charge of where you live. For us, we have that at a city level, we have it at a county level, we have it at a state level, we have it at a country level. There's people in positions of governing authorities at each and every one of those places. Let every person, again, I don't want us to be confused here and think like he's talking about the people back there. The word person here is soul. Let every soul, let everybody for all of time be subject to the governing authorities. Now, what does it mean to be subject? To be subject here, it's actually a military term. It means to fall in line. Let every soul, let every person fall in line with their governing authorities. We're speaking about structure. See, there's a Greek word he could have used for obedience. He didn't use that. He didn't say, let every soul obey their governing authorities. Let every soul fall in line with their governing authorities. He's speaking of structure. This is the way God has structured things, for there to be governing authorities over people. This idea of being subject shouldn't be new to us. Uh, This is what believers do. From the moment we become a Christian, we all submit to something. James 4, 7, we're told to submit to God, fall in line to God. 1 Peter 5, 5, we're told to submit to our elders, fall in line with those who are above us. Hebrews 13, 17, submit to your spiritual leaders. Fall in line to those who have spiritual leadership in your life. Ephesians 5, 29, just says submit to one another. Fall in line, submit to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 5, 24, speaking the way that God has structured the home. Wives are to fall in line with husbands. We're just speaking of structure. We're speaking of the way that God has created things to be. Now, submitting can involve obedience, but submitting does not necessarily mean obedience. Okay, what are children told? Children, obey your parents. Children, honor your parents. Obey them. Not just submit, not just fall in line. Do what they say. For the love of God, children, can you please just do what we say? right? Children obey. He doesn't just say children submit, but for whatever reason, that's what he says. Here, all people are subject to their governing authorities. Second thing we see, all governing authorities are selected by God. All governing authorities are selected by God. Beginning in the second half of verse one, he says, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now again, we're gonna come back to this idea of disobeying and resisting government towards the end. But for now, I just wanna stay uh, in here because this is the rule he's speaking to, not the exception. So first, let's cover the rule, the way things are meant to be. Then towards the end, we'll look at what the exception might be. He says, all governing authorities are selected, they're chosen, they're instituted by God. So if someone is in a position of governmental authority, they've been placed there by God. Pastor Larry Osborne, he put it like this. He said, God is in control of who is in control. God is in control of who is in control. Really? Is this just Paul saying this? In Romans 13, like, is he wrong? Or is this actually what God says? This is what God says all throughout the scriptures. 
Psalm 75 says, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another, speaking directly about governing authorities. He puts one down and he lifted up another. Just Thursday this last week, we saw the queen passed away. Right, and already there's a new king. Now we could look at that and say, man, I, I guess God's gonna have to salvage that situation. No, he, God is in control of who is in control. He organized and orchestrated and was sovereign over that entire exchange. What about evil leaders? Right, surely God appoints the good ones, but the evil ones somehow slip through the cracks and God is like, hey guys, what happened there? Did we really pick that one? Yeah, even the evil ones, he is over. Exodus 9, 16, Exodus, we're talking about Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh, let my people go, that whole story? Says this, but for this purpose, this is God speaking, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised up an evil leader so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Let's look at Daniel 2. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Right, the guy who went nuts towards the end of his life, early on in his life, built that massive statue and said, everyone needs to worship me now. Not a good dude. Not a good leader, an evil leader, a sinful leader. Daniel, interpreting a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, look at the way he speaks of how God had put him in a place of authority. Daniel speaks, he says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God, whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, has given the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. You see how he speaks of him? You are in your position of authority because God has placed you in your position of authority. He is in control of who is in control. My favorite one, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. Jesus speaking with Pilate. Pilate is basically the governor of Rome. He's the man who's responsible for crucifying Jesus. So Pilate says to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answers him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. The man responsible for having Jesus crucified, where did his position, his power, his authority come from? It came from God. God is in control of who is in control. Does he appoint evil leaders? Yes, absolutely. Now here's the question. Like here's the question we ask. Okay, we can, we can wrestle with, okay, yeah, we know he does. That's what the scriptures say. But why? Why would he appoint evil leaders? How does God use evil leaders? Let me give you my most accurate theological explanation. Are you ready? I don't know. I don't know. That's the tension. That's what we want to know, right? Why would he do that? How, how does he use, how, how does that all work? We just don't know. We can read through the scriptures and actually see some outcomes of what happens when evil leaders are placed into positions of authority. Acts chapter eight, we see the church facing immense persecution and the church explodes. All throughout Acts, you read these stories and at the end of the story, it says, and God added daily the number to those who were being saved. 
This guy gets persecuted. And, then, and God added to their numbers those who are being saved. The next chapter, and God added to their numbers those who are being saved. That's under persecution. Some of the greatest times we see of church growth in the recent history is during times of persecution. For some reason, the church grows faster in places where it's illegal to be a Christian. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But somehow, God uses it. We see in the Old Testament, God punishes his people through evil leaders. He punished Israel through the Babylonians. He punished his Israel through the Assyrians. He raised up evil leaders. He raised up evil nations to deal with the sin of his people. And we also see throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament, even though God raises up evil leaders, he still punishes those evil leaders. It's not like they get a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not how they somehow get a pass. No, God still deals with their iniquity. He still deals with their sin. All governing authorities are selected by God. What's the role? What are they selected by God to do? Third thing, all governing authorities serve to protect and to punish Certainly an oversimplification. They're here to protect and to punish. Now, how they protect and they punish and how we think they should protect and punish, that's probably where our different political convictions come in. Right? I think it should be done this way. I think it should be done this way. Oh, I think it should be done this way. There's gotta be more than just this way and this way. Certainly there's some other ways that we can do this thing and we might have disagreements on how this is all done. We can talk about it over dinner and I can look at you and say, I think you're wrong, but do we both worship Jesus together? Oh, we do? Okay, cool, pass the cheese. Let's continue on with dinner. These arguments don't gotta be these big divisive things. All governing authorities serve to protect and to punish. Verse three says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. Listen to the way God is speaking of our governing officials. He is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's two things he speaks of there in the role He talks about receiving approval. That's protection. That's protection. It's even uh, adoration for things that we do as civilians. But he also speaks of terror to bad conduct. That's the primary role of the government is punish sin, punish evil. How does that happen? We see it happen all sorts of ways. It could be through a speeding ticket. Come on, man. That's not that evil. Well, You're breaking the law, and God says we should listen. We should abide by the rules and regulations he has over us. It could be more than tickets. It could be jail sentences. It could be a death sentence. We could see it even be war. God protects, and God punishes through our governing authorities. Verse five, therefore, one must be in subjection. There's that word again. One must fall in line not only to avoid God's wrath, because God's wrath is mostly issued through governments that he sets up, but also for the sake of conscience. So we can live with a clean conscience. So we can live knowing that we're doing the right thing. All governing authorities serve to protect and punish. Fourth thing, all people ought to surrender what is owed. All people ought to surrender what is owed. Verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. This just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? 
For because of this, you also pay taxes, we know. For the authorities are ministers of God. They're servants, they're servants, they're avengers, they're ministers. Actually put here to serve us, to help us. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. What very thing? Protect and punish. That's why we pay taxes. We pay taxes to fund protection and to fund the punishment. Then he goes on, he says, pay all to what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Think of taxes and revenue in this case pretty much as the same thing. We're not talking about um, revenue you get from a company or paying your employees or anything like that. Uh, We're talking about two different kinds of taxes. Back in the day, these dudes were taxed on everything. Everything, and it didn't exactly work the way taxes work today. You ever seen the show Storage Wars? Right, where they sell the storage unit to the highest bidder. That's the way taxes worked back then. You'd show up to an auction and say, I want the ability to tax 85255. I want tax rights over that community. All right, start the bidding at this, start the bidding at this. And they would sell that area to the highest bidder. Then that highest bidder was enabled to tax them however they wanted to as long as they were paying that money back to the government. Let's think of it like this. Let's say you go out fishing uh, with your guys and, and you come back and there's your tax man standing on the dock and say, boys, I'm, I'm so glad you're back. And you're thinking, I'm so glad to see you too. This is wonderful. How many fish did you catch last night? A hundred. Okay, well, that's going to be X for the fish tax. What time did you go out? We fished from this time to this time. Okay, you have to pay this tax on how long you were out on the lake. How many nets did you use? Did you do two nets? We threw four. Mm, That's double. You have to pay a four net tax. How do you plan on getting these fish off the boat? Are you going to use the dock or just the road? No, we have to use the dock and the road. Well, you have to pay the dock tax and you have to pay the road tax. How many uh, wagons? Are you using? Are you using one wagon or two wagons today? Well, we caught a lot of fish. We got to use two wagons. That's a two wagon tax. You see how ridiculous this is? That's how this worked in that time. And still, Paul is saying, pay it. Pay it. That's what's on you. Jesus said in Mark 12, 17, Jesus says to these people, because they ask these questions, do we need to pay our taxes? If we're of a different kingdom, do we got to pay taxes to this one? And Jesus just says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. More importantly, render to God what's God's. Yeah, pay your taxes. This is what's right. But I don't like how they spend my tax money. That's on them. That's on them. That's not on you. Here's what God calls us to. God tells us to render what is owed. Our taxes, our revenues, render what is owed. If people are spending our money for evil things, God will deal with them. Vengeance is his, remember? Each of us should surrender what is owed. Fifth thing, all people are to show honor and respect for their governing authorities. Everyone take a deep breath real quick. He says, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Can we remember who is emperor at this time in Rome? It's Nero. He's a Christian killer. This is the guy who hosted these elaborate dinner parties out in his garden, and he would light his parties with the bodies of burning Christians. That's who he was. 
Honor to whom honor is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. Who is owed honor? Who is owed respect? Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. It says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Uh, At this point in time, Neronian persecution had actually turned up from the time that the book of Romans was written. So from the time that it was really bad in Romans to the time that it got really bad when Peter was written, uh, it got worse. It got worse. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, that's Nero, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It was the governor, by the way, who had Jesus crucified. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should, not, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Let's come back to that in a minute but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There was this saying in the church in Corinth. Uh, They said, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. Essentially, we can do whatever we want. All things are lawful. Paul responded, he said, yeah, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. Just because I can say something, it doesn't mean I should say something. This first Peter verse, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. It's a free country, I can say whatever I want. You can say whatever you want, but you probably shouldn't. Just because you can add to the chatter, add to the noise, add to the static, doesn't mean you should. Just because you can add to the polarization of our company or of our country doesn't mean you should. Just because you can throw dirt at people who are at the other side of the political aisle doesn't mean you should. We give honor to whom honor is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. We're called to be different. We're called to be different. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world. Be transformed. Be different. Ephesians 4.29 says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If we rewind, let's rewind four years. Let's rewind eight years. And just look at the way the church, the church in whole, and and this church, Highlands Church. How have we spoken? Have we been conformed to the ways of the world? Have we fallen into that trap that keeps getting set? Or are we different? Just because we can say things, it doesn't mean we should say things. We should honor, we should respect those who are in positions of authority. All people are to show honor and respect to their governing authorities. Now here's the question we asked in the beginning. Here's the question that comes to mind when we read this passage. Is there ever a time for a Christian to disobey? Is there ever a time for a Christian to disobey? And if there is, when is that? And if there is a time, how should we do it? Let's spend just a couple minutes on that. 
Um, first, I'll answer the question, is there a time, yes, there is a time for a follower of Jesus to disobey and even resist the government. Sixth thing we're gonna talk about this morning, all governing authorities are sinners, all of them, and sinful people do sinful things. We should know this, look in a mirror, right? Therefore, there are times when they should be disobeyed and even resisted. Let's look at some examples. The Bible is full of examples of this happening. A very, very early on, Exodus chapter one, Pharaoh says, kill all the babies. Moses' mom says, nope, not gonna do it. Joshua 2, the king of Jericho, comes to Rahab's house and says, where's the Israelite spies? Are you hiding them? And she says, nope. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant statue, says, bow down and worship me. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What do they say? Nope. Not going to do it. Can't do it. Daniel chapter 6, King Darius says, the only God you can pray to is me. The only God you're allowed to pray through is God Darius. What does Daniel say? Nope. I think I'll pray on my windowsill to the one true God so everyone can see. Acts chapter five, verse 21, Peter standing before the high priest is ordered to stop preaching. Stop preaching this Jesus. What's he say? Nope. You decide what's right. As for us, we must obey God rather than men. There's our principle. When is the time? The time to disobey and even resist is this. If obeying the government ever requires you to disobey God, then you disobey the government and you obey God instead. We must never obey men rather than God. We follow him first. We follow Jesus Second thing, real quick, if a follower of Jesus disobeys and or resists an evil government, they should be prepared to accept the punishment that may come. Weigh the consequences for your actions. If you know something might come on the heels of you disobeying, the heels of you resisting, be ready for the consequences that may come. Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, you throw us in the fire, but God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, they know what's gonna happen. Our preference would be God would deliver us in this. But if he doesn't, we are fully prepared to die. Acts 4, 18 through 20, time and time and time again, the apostles in the book of Acts are imprisoned for talking about Jesus. They're beaten. They're sent outside the city. They're shipwrecked. Their homes are stripped from them. Their clothes are stripped from them. They weigh the consequences. But for them, we must obey God rather than men. Let me give you a couple uh, pieces of of advice as a friend and as one of your pastors. If you do choose to disobey or resist the government, here's what I'd ask you to do first. Seek counsel. And by counsel, I don't mean your favorite news source. I don't mean your favorite social media of choice, which aligns perfectly with your political party. It's not what I mean. Seek counsel from a real, live human being with the spirit of God who lives inside of them. Talk to them. Talk to a pastor. Talk to your small group. Talk to a friend. Secondly, pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's wisdom. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him because he makes our paths straight. We pray for God's wisdom. 
Along the way, we pray that God would produce every single one of his fruits of the spirit in our life. Always, let love be genuine. Would we live with love? So what? That's the question here, right? The passage I told you, it's really simple. It's really simple. God puts all people, all governing authorities in place. He's responsible. He's in control of who's in control. What's our response? We be subject to our governing authorities. We fall in line. What does that look like? It looks like we pay our taxes. That's what we do. And we respect and honor those who are in high positions. Super simple. Where it gets difficult for us is I think when something falls out of alignment. You ever had something like out of alignment in your back? Right, there was a lady in the office this last week and she's just gimping around. I was like, what happened? Oh, my back's out. You're out of alignment and that causes a lot of issues. It causes a lot of pain. You can't function the way you're meant to function. For some of us, our line, the line we've been meant to fall in is way out of alignment. We've placed politics, we've placed party, we've placed platform, we've placed people over the one true God. That's where we've placed our hope. That's where we've placed our faith. That's where we've placed our trust. It's taken all of our attention. It's taken all of our affection. And that's not where it's meant to be. Here's what the scriptures say. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Do you see the way he speaks of people? Sojourners and exiles. That's the way we should see ourselves. We should live with this perspective of this place is not my home. This place is not my home. I'm a traveler. I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile. I'm not going to be here forever. And while we might build a beautiful, pretty home where you might find your dream home and you might call that place your forever home, Christians, hear me. We must believe this place is not our home. This isn't our home. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He has the power for all things to fall in line with him. All things fall in line. Almost as a believer, it's like we have dual citizenship, right? We have citizenship here on earth, but our primary residence, our primary citizenship, it's a heavenly kingdom. That's the place we'll go. That's the place we'll live forever. I'm gonna invite the band out. I'm gonna read a couple more scripture verses and then we'll close. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's Jesus. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's the name that is above every name, the position that is above every position, the power that is above and beyond every power. All things fall in line with Christ Jesus. All things. He's been given a name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, we serve and follow Jesus. That's who we serve. That's who we follow. It's why don't we don't preach party. We don't preach platform. We don't preach people. We preach Jesus. Let that be the main thing. All of us can come together and say, do you know what? We might disagree on a couple things and that's fine because we agree on the one thing. Christ is king. Christ is king and all things fall in line with him. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.
He is our Lord. What does that mean? That means we believe him. That means we follow him. That means we do what he says. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. If you follow me, if you want to serve me, you'll do what I say. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this, first of all then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and to all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're gonna do that this morning, but before I do that, I'd invite you to just stand. Um, we do this sometimes. I've shared with you, I love just being open-handed when I pray uh, and being open-handed when I worship. For me, it's an act of acknowledging, do you know what, God? In the same way we just sang that song, more of you and less of me, take everything. That's what this is. This is take everything. This is submitting, God, you're in control. This is falling in line with Christ first and then whatever submission comes as a result. But we're gonna pray, just like he says. We're gonna supplicate, we're gonna pray, we're gonna make intercession and thanksgiving for all people, for kings and for those who are in high positions. So let's do that right now. God, we thank you. We thank you that we get to call this place our temporary home. God, we know we won't live here forever for whatever reason you've chosen for us to sojourn here. But God, would we keep perspective? Would we have real alignment? Would we fall in line with Christ as king first? Nothing above him, nothing above his name, nothing above his power, nothing above his rule, nothing above his reign. Christ first. But God, we do pray for the governing authorities that you've placed in our life. God, at a city level and even at a state level, God, we pray for our local authorities who serve us well and keep us safe God, we pray for our policemen and our policewomen, everyone who serves us day in and day out to both protect but also to punish. God, we pray safety over them. We pray, pray blessings over their families. God, we pray that we would uh, be a community, that we'd be a church who respect them, who love them, who care for them, who serve them, who know that we are here for them when they need us. God, we pray for our state officials, our elected officials. We pray for our governor, God. We ask that you would give him immense wisdom. God, we pray for the new governors on the horizon, God, as we're entering an election season. We pray that um, you would be with them. God, we know you have uh, the person already elected in your mind. It's already come to pass in your plan. We ask that when that moment arrives, we'd submit to them, we'd love them, we'd pray for them, we'd serve them, we'd respect them, and we'd honor them. God, that we wouldn't be conformed to the ways of the world who just slings dirt constantly at the other side of the aisle, but God, we would speak with grace, that we'd speak with kindness, that we'd speak with respect, that nothing unwholesome would come out of our mouth, only gracious words and words that build. God, that's who we want to be. God, at a national level, we pray for our president. We pray for our vice president. God, we ask that you would give them health, that you would give them wisdom. God, that you would help them walk uh, in a way that honors you. God, for all who sit in those house, those who don't know you, would they come to saving faith that Jesus is the Christ, the living son of God? Would they profess there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other, other life, but only you? God, would they submit themselves first to you? Would they submit themselves to Jesus as king and then see their role in support of what you are doing in our country? 
God, for those who don't know you at any level, God, that's what we pray for. We pray just as Timothy instructs us to pray here. You desire all people to be saved, God, that's what we want. We want all people to be saved. We want all of our governing officials to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus, you are the truth. Jesus, we submit to you because Jesus is king. That's what we believe. And we respond now in a time of worship. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I'm not sure where you're at in your faith this morning and that whole idea of falling in line and submitting first to Christ. Maybe you're here in this place this morning and you'd like to make that decision to follow Jesus for the first time in your life. Man, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you after the service. Our prayer team is gonna be down front and they'd love to pray and talk with you. By the way, not just in regard to coming in faith, they would, they would love to pray with you about anything. You've got sickness going on in your life. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, that God would heal you. If you've got something you just wanna pray about, bring before the Lord, they'd love to pray with you. If you've gotta thank God for something, they would love to thank God with you. We are here to pray for and with you. I wanna read Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, this is Daniel speaking about a vision he had of Jesus. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. This is Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, that's the kingdom we serve. That's the kingdom we are a part of. This week, would we not be conformed to the kingdom of the world? Will we be transformed as those who live and commit to Christ and live with this kingdom on earth now? Let's follow him first, amen? Amen. We love you guys, love each other. Have a great week, bye-bye.